Have you ever had a civil discussion with someone you disagreed with or who had a different perspective than you? If you have, what did you learn? Here on The Moderate Review, we try to have these kinds of discussions. So, let's talk. I'm your host, Jack Taggart, and on this episode of The Moderate Review, I interview Lexi Smith, the host of the Ifriance podcast. And on this episode, we talk about her story and how she overcame her eating disorder. This episode talks about eating disorders and mental health, which may not be suitable for everyone. So, let's talk. You know, I'm obsessed. One thing that I absolutely love is fruit snacks. Like, I literally can't get enough of them. And my unpopular opinion is probably that the smiley face fruit snacks are not not the greatest. Like, I, I just don't love them. Oh, no, I, I, I totally agree <laughs> with that, too. They're the worst, you know. But uh, similar topic. What do you think about the, the candy dots? Mm, I don't love dots. Okay, those are I don't horrible. Love dots. I, I have literally a hierarchy of, like, fruit snacks. All right, how does <laughs> that go? So I personally think that treetop fruit snacks are the greatest. Now, unfortunately, treetop has quit producing their fruit snacks. And I emailed them and said, what the heck? And apparently they were in partnership with someone else and the partnership kind of, I don't know what happened, but they're, they're out of production. So may treetop fruit snacks rest in peace. Um, my favorite food no longer exists, but um, the next I think would have to be Welch's and then probably like Black Forest and then Kellogg's, which has gone through a rebrand recently and I'm not a fan, but it's fine. Um, yeah, so there's just there's just quite a hierarchy of fruit snacks, but a lot of times when I tell people I don't like the smiley face ones, they think I'm crazy. Well, they're lame. I don't know. They're wrong. So <laughs> I totally agree. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So then we'll just uh, we'll hop right in into this. So, uh, Lexi, you have the podcast um, Every Ounce. And so I guess for those who don't know what uh, your podcast is about, could you kind of tell us more about your podcast and more of, um, I guess, your story? What brought you to actually talk about mental health? Yeah, of course. So my podcast really always just comes back to mental health. So we talk about a lot of different things. I mean, it can be anywhere from like schizophrenia to relationships to trauma, eating disorders, diet culture, all of that stuff. As long as it relates back to mental health and I think it's applicable, I'll include it in my in my podcast. I have some really, really great episodes with really great guests that are super qualified and, and people that I've hoped that I've done the interviews justice. But I kind of love having a space where I can just keep all of these conversations and let them be heard. And what originally got me interested in podcasting was just seeing the other individuals around me in the same field, starting podcasts and um, just just moving forward with their businesses and their plans and, and spreading awareness and, and advocating in a, in a different kind of space. And so I kind of was slow to hop on that bandwagon, but I slowly did and, and it's been great. And so I do share my story on the podcast and I can tell you more about that. I don't know how in depth you'd like me to go right now, but um, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder and slowly went through that process of recovery. So, so that's why I got into advocacy for mental health. Okay. And um, so we can go as in-depth as you, as you feel comfortable with, but like um, I've heard your story. Would you, would you mind telling a little bit more about your story? Of course. So I'll try and give you like the SparkNotes version because I can really talk about it for like two minutes or two hours. Um, <laughs> but... Up to you. Up to you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go somewhere in between. Um, so I was, well, way back when I was always very academic 
very perfectionistic growing up. Everything was very organized, um, just really perfectionistic. And around seventh grade, I started to develop a lot of depression. I didn't know that that's what it was at the time. Um, looking back now, I can literally check the boxes and be like, no, duh, that's exactly what it was. But at the time, I didn't really have a word for it. And so I was just cruising along. And things kind of came and went, and I didn't really do much about it. Um, later on down the line, in ninth grade, I had just taken eighth grade health. So keep that in mind. I had just taken my eighth grade health class, and I had decided I, I had set a goal. And I just wanted to be healthier. And I did that because I just thought it was the right thing to do. I didn't want... Um, my eating habits or anything to kind of backfire at me when I was older. I wanted to get ahead of the healthy lifestyle game. So I was like, yep, I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to start these lifestyle changes, quote unquote, now, and I'm going to live a, a super long and healthy life. Um, and I, I did that. I was going to do that by exercising more and eating better. And so all of my goals were very legitimately healthy, very rational, very clear. And I think that's something important to know. It didn't stem from body image. It didn't stem from a place of um, any, like, like I wanted to change who I was or that I was just, I thought I wasn't good enough. It just, it stemmed from wanting to be healthy. And slowly but surely, I had a Fitbit at the time. So this fitness tracker kind of became my life. I had to do it perfectly. And that perfectionism really set in. And so I started to meal plan all the time. I started to count my calories. I started to track my weight four, five, six times a day. I started to uh, log everything I ate. We're talking down to gum and salt and pepper on a potato or butter on a roll. Every single thing, I did it perfectly. And I was good at it. I was really, really good at it. I was good at calculating calories and recipes. I was good at secretly looking up menus and and um, just, it, it was just insane. It was insane. And I always thought about food 24-7. That was my only thought was, what am I going to eat for my next meal? And then during my meal, I was, how much am I eating? And counting the grapes as I ate them and, and moving the the food around my plate and taking sips between my bites and just all of these stupid mental games that I was playing with myself and it just got really really out of control that's really all I can say is that one thing went to another and it just slowly came out of control and I'm no one special <laughs> like this literally just started as a health goal and something crazy happened and it turned into a full-blown eating disorder and what we call that is orthorexia it's not um a recognized mental illness, it's not in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. You can't officially be diagnosed with it. Um, but that's basically what it is, is an unhealthy obsession with health. So I was officially diagnosed with anorexia on October 9th of 2017. I was 15 at the time and I had just started my sophomore year of high school. Um, I was immediately admitted to Primary Children's Hospital here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I was there for six days. I wasn't sure when I was originally admitted how long I was going to be there, but I ended up being there six days. Um, while I was there, the first day they, they gave me what's called an NG feeding tube. So this feeding tube went up my nose, down my throat, and then into my stomach. And um, that feeding tube just provided me with additional nutrition throughout the day. Um, and then after I went home from the hospital, I did it at night. So I wore the feeding tube 24-7. I wore it to school. I wore it to church. I wore it 
from, you know, every holiday I had on Christmas morning all the way until almost um, Valentine's Day. And so I, I had that, uh, I had a piece of tape across my cheek and this tube hanging um, basically out of my nose and across my, across my face for four months. Um, and then I slept next to a, a giant pole that kind of looks like an IV pole filled with like basically protein shake <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um, just pumping my body full of nutrition because I was so malnourished, both my body and my mind. And as miserable as that process was, I am incredibly grateful because I honestly don't know if I would be fully recovered today without it. And following again, following my discharge from the hospital, I had a recovery team, including a eating disorder therapist and then an eating disorder, a specialized eating disorder dietitian and my pediatrician that all worked together to kind of communicate and we come up with the best recovery plan for me. Um, so it was very extensive. I spent every week in therapy. I spent about every other week with the dietitian and about every month with my pediatrician. And so it was just really, really aggressively fighting this eating disorder. And I was super stubborn. I was super defiant. I refused to follow my meal plan. Recovery was incredibly difficult. I would say it was more difficult than originally having an eating disorder when I was undiagnosed. It was, it was just, it was just horrible and it was hard and it was super difficult. And, and I experienced some more depression and suicidal ideation and so many things were happening at once. And, and eventually when I had my feeding tube removed after I had hit what they call weight maintenance, I have no idea what that was for me. They kept track of all of that. But as soon as I hit this weight maintenance and I regained nourishment in my body and mind, things just kind of flipped a switch. And and I started to get my personality back and I didn't even realize it had, it had really left. And um, I started to become more myself and I started to think a little bit more rationally. And I started to, to laugh and to communicate with people and to really make progress in therapy and all of these different things. And so I really had to fix my body before I could fix my brain. And then once we got through the eating disorder and the fear foods and the restriction, we got to what was underlying that eating disorder. And that's where full recovery comes in is that I could have just stopped after my eating disorder became like functional again and I could live my life. Um, but instead, my therapist insisted that we uncover every crumb of that eating disorder and we figure out why this happened. And so for me, everyone is different, but for me, my eating disorder kind of manifested itself because of my perfectionism, because of that toxic perfectionism and clinical depression. And so medication was a big part of that for me. Um, discovering a lot of new coping skills was a big part for me. Um, and just really moving forward with more of a, a legitimate healthy lifestyle. And then being super aware of, of a lot of diet culture that I was experiencing, um, things that were around me, my environment, of course, my genetics, I'm sure played a, a, a factor as well. And I had always been interested in just the, so, the social sciences in general. I had always mm. I had taken psychology. I loved it. Um, so this just kind of narrowed down my career field for me. And I always tell people, a lot of people have an eating disorder. After they're done, they move on with their lives and, and they don't think about it every single day. But for me, it just, it felt right. I always, I often say that I didn't go through what I went through for nothing. And I just feel like it's really, I'm, I'm really meant for the work um, that's here. And so I've, I've kind of devoted the rest of my life to it. And so for that reason, I do think about my eating disorder every single day, but I don't, 
I don't struggle with it every day. I only think about it because it's my career. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. every every single day, I am working towards advocacy and awareness and research and funding and um, legislative work, getting awareness in schools and education and a lot of things on social media, podcasting, writing recovery workbooks. Hopefully someday I'll be a legitimate published author. Just so many so many dreams and eventually hopefully opening up my own practice. That's the goal is to, is to become an eating disorder specialized therapist. Um, hopefully in about a year from now, I'll be studying clinical mental health counseling. So in that master's program, I'm excited for that. And so it's just become a big part of my life. Um, but the, my main message to, to folks that are still in the midst of the battle is that recovery is so, so, so real. And that a lot of people will tell you that your eating disorder will always linger with you for like forever and ever. And that's just not true. I don't wake up every morning and think about what I'm going to eat for breakfast and worry about it. I don't have anxiety after or before meals. I don't weigh myself ever, like ever. If I go to the doctors, I stand on the scale backwards. I haven't weighed myself since before I was diagnosed, which was almost three years ago. I, I just don't, I just am not involved with that kind of lifestyle anymore. I've discovered real intuitive eating. And I've learned how healthy that can be. And I've done my research on that. And I've really worked and I've constantly continued to work towards maintaining full recovery. And it's such a blessing. And um, it's not something it's not something that I struggle with anymore. And so that's kind of the point that I really, really try to push home is that recovery is so stinking real and full recovery is so real. How did you actually overcome, you know, dealing with perfection? Because, you know, I kind of tend to be a bit of a perfectionist. And so, like, how did you overcome it? How did you guess were able to, guess maybe keep it in check or have it not run you? You know, this is one of the hardest things that I can probably answer because I haven't quite figured out the secret yet. I'm going to be honest. Okay. It's definitely right. – I've recovered from an eating disorder. I have. I have not recovered from perfectionism. Because I think it's so ingrained with my personality that I don't know if I ever will. Now, I have overcome a lot of toxic perfectionism. I will always be very organized and very driven. That's who I am. But I don't create so many lists anymore. I don't, I'm not such of like a checker, almost like OCD. I've never been mm -hmm. diagnosed with OCD. And I don't want to say that I have OCD tendencies, but there are some of those same characteristics there. Um... The thing for me that really, really helped with perfectionism, first of all, the number one thing was to recognize it. And a lot of times still in my daily life, I will have to say, Lexi, stop it. Calm down. Slow down. Take a break. Organize yourself and then stop saying yes to doing so much. You can't be this busy, whatever. And so recognition is probably key number one. The, the second thing that I've really tried to do is I kind of took the same approach as how I approached my fear foods and eating disorder recovery, and that was basically through exposure therapy. And so I literally, with the help of my therapist and kind of just on my own, have taken certain things that I'm perfectionistic about, for example, like making my bed in the morning or fixing my handwriting on a, on a paper or something like that, just something ticky-tacky that's annoying. And, and I will purposefully leave it imperfect over and over and over and over again until it quits bugging me. So I mm. will, like for a week or two weeks or a month, I will leave my bed unmade 
You know what I mean? And it drove me nuts. It was so hard because I couldn't focus on anything else. And then that, that was an assignment from my therapist. And so to purposefully leave things imperfect and to kind of sit in the imperfection is one way that you can overcome perfectionism, if that makes sense. You, I just mm, yeah. consider it like opposite opposite action exposure therapy. Um, and just it helps my my brain realize, oh, my goodness life goes on and I, I can still accomplish things <laughs> and I'm not going to die and I'm going to be just fine. And, and that doesn't mean that my whole life needs to be a mess and unorganized and that whatever, but it's just about balance. And I've had to balance so much like self-care and I have to really prioritize that. I have to make time for myself, what I call me time every single day. I have to set very clear boundaries and say, this is how much time I can, be, I can be talking to you tonight if I have a friend coming over. And then I have to say, I, it's me time after that. Or um, I really have to prioritize a nice shower, a nice hot shower tonight just because I want to. Um, you know what? I'm going to take some time just right now in the middle of my day, even though my to-do list continues to grow longer and longer by the minute. I'm just going to take 20 minutes and I'm going to watch Netflix and sit here on my bed and I'm going to eat some M&Ms while I do so. And, and just prioritizing myself and realizing I can't function at 100%, 100% of the time, I'm going to burn myself out. And so I think recognition and then taking action to do less actions, <laughs> if that makes any sense, taking action to do less uh, is what helps me kind of maintain that perfectionism but like I said I I have recovered from an eating disorder I have not fully recovered from perfectionism could you maybe like um I guess describe I guess to my listeners like what a fear food is and also um what self-care is yeah so what we call fear foods is like foods that we've restricted so for me there are certain foods that I wouldn't eat for example let's say um, like desserts, like basically all desserts I wouldn't eat. Chocolate, donuts, cake, cookies, all of those things. And for me, so there's always a reason for a fear food. So it's like, okay, I have this fear food. And it's like, okay, well, what's your why? My why was pretty much always that there was too high of calories. Sometimes it was like, uh, that thing is really, really has a lot of fat in it. But the majority of the time it was calories. They were just high in calories. So any food that's like really, really processed, I don't know, just whatever those types of, of foods are. My number one fear food, weirdly enough, was Pop-Tarts. I don't know why. That was just my most feared food. I thought that I was going to gain like 15 pounds if I ate a single Pop-Tart and that like I'd keel over on the couch. I don't know. But it just scared the crap out of me. And um, so fear foods, we kind of list them in hierarchy um, another big fear food for me was like condiments or butter, because in my mind, those things are extras. You don't need them. You don't need them. You can go without them. And so letting myself enjoy some ketchup on a on a hamburger or whatever was, was a big deal because I didn't necessarily need that on my hamburger. I just wanted it. And that was just extra. Um, and so that's just kind of the way it's just so many mental games um, that an eating disorder really thinks. Um, but you kind of list those fear foods and then you list them in like a hierarchy, which is my most, you kind of rank them. What am I most afraid of on this list? What am I least afraid of on this list? Let's maybe rate them all between one and five. 
I'm going to start with all of the ones and I'm going to eat through the ones and I'm going to eat each of them numerous times. Oh man. (laughs) And then after that, I'm going to go to the twos and then I'm going to go to the threes and the fours and then I'm going to finally conquer the fives. And so what I did was almost, so I created this kind of chart of here's my foods, here's my why, here's the ranking of them and here's my tally mark of how many times I've eaten them. And there are some days when it's like you eat, you eat dessert every single day this week. And I mean, that might not be crazy for someone in like, for me right now, I'd be like, okay, (laughs) okay, (laughs) bring it on. You know what I mean? Like like me in my regular life now, I probably have, you know, a little mini Twix. I had a mini Twix this morning. I currently have a bowl of ice cream in front of me right now. Like I, I eat things multiple times throughout the day that I would consider treats, but for me at that time, I was, that was the, that was the scariest thing you could have told me to do. And because that was my, that was, you have to remember that that's my coping mechanism was my eating disorder. That's, mm. that's how I controlled my life. That's how things were working. That's how my whole brain was rationalizing things. And it's like, when you mess that up, you just mess up everything. And so it just, it just makes you spiral out of control. And so um, that's how you kind of conquer a fear food. I kept a list of fear foods that I had conquered and to slowly see that list grow and my list of fear foods shrink was very um, rewarding. Um, and so, yeah, these fear foods are are scary, but there's also, I mean, we have to, I don't have any fear foods anymore. I don't have any fear foods. There are foods I won't eat, but that's simply because I genuinely don't like them. Like I'm like, I'm, I, I will not eat green beans. I don't like them. I will not eat mint ice cream. I don't like it. But that's not because I'm afraid of the food. I just genuinely don't don't like the taste of it. And so you can't recover from an eating disorder until that list of fear foods is gone, smushed and under the couch. And and that doesn't that's not just eating a Pop Tart once, it's eating a Pop Tart twenty times, twenty days in a row. Um, just just over and over and over and over again. Yeah, that's kinda of interesting. I mean Pop Tarts aren't even that great in my opinion, but <laughs> Well, for whatever reason, they meant a lot to me, and uh, it was my f- biggest fear food. <laughs> After you've uh, overcome this, what is healthy to you? Mm. Healthy to me, and I use the word healthy very, very carefully, because a lot of times what we think is healthy and what is actually healthy is not the same thing. Healthy to me is balance, and that means having a lot of variety with your food. If I only ever ate... uh chicken nuggets and cupcakes every single day all day I would not be a very healthy human but with that being said if all I ate was kale smoothies and fish fillets I would not be a very healthy human and so it's all about variety you need cereal in the morning you need protein at lunch you need vegetables you need snacks you need treats you need fats you need carbs you need all of these different things And what I've learned is that you don't have to keep track of it. Your body is literally the greatest fitness tracker you could have, okay? We can't even understand or comprehend how the body does it, but my body is so kind to me. I don't have to do the work. It does it for me. It knows exactly how many calories I've eaten. It knows exactly how many calories I've expended. It knows exactly what that difference is. It knows exactly how many macros. It knows exactly how much I weigh. It knows exactly how much water I need and how much I've drinking. It, it tracks it for me and I don't have to worry about it. And it'll tell me if I listen to it, what I need. And so if I tune into what we call intuitive eating, if I eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm full, if I ditch diet culture, and, and a lot of times intuitive eating will only get 
people will kind of sum it up to the hunger fullness diet. That's not the case. There's more to it than that. There's 10 different principles. Okay, you've got a ditch diet culture. You challenge the food police that we kind of call like, such, such as like fear foods. Um, we listen to our hunger. And for eating disorder individuals, it's hard because my hunger literally shut itself off. The, mm. the signal between my stomach and my brain was disconnected. I did not feel hunger ever. I was never hungry. I wasn't starving. It's not like I was just starving myself like a lot of people think that eating disorders are. That's not the case. And you have to actively eat a lot, especially because you have a hypermetabolism at the time. So you're eating more than you want to be eating, and then you're eating even more than that because you have to. <laughs> and it's insane. And um, eventually those hunger cues come back. And then you have to really, really listen and think, okay, what does hungry feel like? And you have to tune in and think, okay, you know what? My mouth salivates. That's a key of hunger. Or my brain kind of has a little a little switch and it goes, ding, hey, I'm starting to think about food. I'm probably getting a little hungry. Or my stomach starts to kind of swirl around and there's nothing in there for it to swirl. That's hunger. And so you have to really, really identify the physiological cues of that. And then you also have to do the same thing with like satiety. How are you feeling full? What is your body feeling like? How's your, um, how's your energy levels? Are you cold? Are you hot? What's your brain worried about? What's your brain thinking about now? And so listing these things out and really coming to understand them and then also incorporating some what we call gentle nutrition, um, making sure you have variety, making sure you're eating your vegetables, making sure you're drinking water, making sure you're getting your fruits and your protein and all of that good stuff. Um, we don't want to make it obsessive. Like we just, we don't want to lean back into diet culture or orthorexia, but we want to make sure you need vitamins from salad, you need vitamins from tomatoes, you need vitamins from whatever, and minerals, and you need the protein and, and calcium and all that good stuff. And every piece of food that you put in your body is doing you some kind of good. It's going to pull out whatever it needs, and it's going to do you some type of good. And, and so um, we don't label food in black or white. It's all kind of amongst the grays, meaning that all food is really good food, um, that it doesn't have morality with it associated with it um and then also incorporating gentle movement i call intuitive movement um moving according to what feels good your body um maybe likes walking or running or yoga or pilates or weightlifting or biking or swimming whatever it is that your body likes to do do it don't do it obsessively but do it when it tells you that it wants to um there's so many benefits of exercise like better sleep lowered stress better improved focus, um, heart health, just a bunch of different things. It's not about weight loss. And so there's some of those key factors that we have to, to look at. And that's where healthy really comes together and kind of just is complete for me is that whole wellness wheel. This concludes part one of my interview with Lexi Smith. Please join us next time for part two, where we discuss misconceptions about mental health and what are healthy coping mechanisms. Until next time, I'm your host, Jack Taggart. The views expressed in the moderate review are solely of the individuals participating and not necessarily of the organizations they are affiliated with. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please tell your friends and please follow us on Twitter at tmodrev, that is the letter T, mod, rev, one word. Until next time, I'm your host, Jack Taggart.